and I didn't like that. Spoke real stern. I didn't like that. And the last time I went outside, I got a treat. I like that. Your dog has figured out that works, and they want to make you happy. But they themselves aren't making a moral choice there. So we've trained these animals, but, but, but you, you take an animal into the wild, you let it do its thing. It goes to the bathroom where it wants to. It eats what it wants to. It kills what it wants to. It mates with what it wants to. Whatever it feels like doing, it does. Unless you've trained it not to, it's going to do what it wants to do. Now, our culture has turned this into something that's celebrated. Because we go back and we go, well, I got to be me. I got to do what I feel. If I feel it, it must be right. I mean, God wouldn't create me this way if it wasn't the way I was supposed to feel. You know, I'm just, I'm just a lady killer. I mean, I, I, I don't want just one. I want them all. God wouldn't create me this way if I wasn't supposed to be this way. Well, that's not true. The world that you live in is broken. The world that we live in is full of sin. We have not only been born into a world of sin, but we've been trained to be better at it. And the culture has gone from the point where we at least said, that stuff, maybe if you're going to do it, do it in private. Now, that wasn't right, but it was at least there was a, a, there was a knowledge of right and wrong. We've gone from that, and we've moved into a place where what's wrong is not considered wrong, and it's celebrated as well. I want to tell you today, and you know this, but you are a child of God, and your creator has created you with a purpose, with a reason for existence, and to be like him. And sometimes you don't feel like that's who you are. And that's when you have to remind yourself that it's not what you feel, but what you know by faith. I am a child of God. I've been recreated in the likeness of him. Now, you say, well, weren't we born in the likeness of God? God created us in his likeness, but we perverted and stained that image. And we kept this physical image, but our spirit bore no resemblance, or little resemblance, I should say. But the Bible says in Colossians that we've been recreated in the likeness of him, in the likeness of holiness and the truth. So there's that new creation inside of you, that who you really are looks like Jesus. And here's what he says. He says, the time at this point, you don't need to live the rest of the time, in verse 2, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. We're going to see that contrast throughout this whole message tonight, throughout all the scripture we read. Because this, this section of scripture is going to name a whole bunch of things that you need to stop doing. And so many Christians view that as their identity. I no longer do what I used to do. But that isn't an identity. That's a lack of an identity. What does he say? He doesn't say stop living for, uh, for the lusts of the flesh. Stop, stop doing what you used to do. He doesn't just say that. He says you're not supposed to. You're not here to live and, and, and to, to live for those lusts of flesh like you used to. You are here to live for the will of God. So there's not a vacuum in your life. It's not just, well, well, what do you guys do at your church? What do you do for fun? Well, I'll tell you what we don't do. That's not the point anymore. That's not the point anymore. But you couldn't do the will of God while you're still doing those things. What does the book of Hebrews say? It says, if we're going to run this race, we're going to run it to win. It said, if we're going to run it to win, we have got to let go of every weight and every sin which so easily entangles us. And we got to fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the one that started us and he's the one that's going to finish us. 
So here's the deal. If I, if I am, the, the whole point of taking off the weight and the sin is because you have a race to run. If you lose sight of that race, you're just on the sidelines stripping things off, and there's no point. You've got a reason to live. You've got a race to run, and, and God wants you to, to win. And really, the fact is, if you read that, Hebrew, that section in Hebrews all together, you'll find out it's not individual races. It's individual parts of one giant race. See, when he talks about the cloud of witnesses, those aren't people that just showed up in the stands. This is a great relay race that's been running for, for all of history. And you know how we know that? Because he goes on to say, without us, their race would not be perfected. If that last guy in the relay race stops, if that last guy in the relay race lies down and takes a nap, everybody else's race stops too. He says, without us, their race isn't finished. We're at that part of history where we're the final ones taking the baton and we get to take it home. You know, if you did track, if you ran track, often that, that last guy was called the glory runner. You know, that last one, that glory runner, the one that got to take it home. Can you imagine? We're the glory runners in history. We get to take that last baton in these last days and it's not time to lie down and it's not time to be weighted down. Be really silly, wouldn't it? Be really silly for, for uh, you know, do, do you guys remember when Canada actually had a decent relay team? Yeah. Remember that? You know what I'm talking about, right? Donovan Bailey, yeah. you're, you're, Bruni Surin. You remember that team when we actually won some gold medals in track? That was, that was like a dream. That was a long time ago, but we did. And I remember cheering for, that, for those guys, and I remember thinking, wow, we actually, we've got some guys that can run, and they'll pass the dope test at the end. This is, this is great, you know, because we, we had some fast guys who didn't pass the test, right? And so this was, this was a wonderful period of time, but I remember, uh, I remember Donovan Bailey getting that, if I can remember correctly, he was the last guy. He was the anchor. He was the one that had the last leg of the race. And I remember him just taking off, and you knew it was over at that point. It was, that was it. We won. But can you imagine if he had brought a backpack full of stuff he thought he might want to play with later? You know, like maybe I just, maybe I need my Xbox in here just in case. And maybe I, oh, you know, I'm going to get hungry. So I'm going to pack a couple quarter pounders in here. And, you know, maybe and he brings his backpack with him. and goes, well, what if it rains? And he brings a big trench coat. Can you imagine how not only stupid he would look, but how slow he would be if he had all that stuff on? Now, even with all that stuff on, he's probably faster than me, but he wouldn't be fast enough to win that race. When we look at it just as this is what I can't do, we resent God and we resent the people that told us. We say, I don't know why you don't want me to have any fun. Well, if you'll learn like David did, that in his presence is pleasure evermore, you'll find out you have way more fun living in God's kingdom than any other, other way, any other place. But if you just think that this is just, I just got to quit this for the sake of quitting this, You'll lose sight of why you're here. The whole reason you're letting go of this stuff, number one, is it's killing you. Number two is because, well, you're, maybe this should be number one. You've got to honor God. He's the one that created you. But, but in reality, number three, you're running a race and it's slowing you down. It's interesting to me that in Hebrews, it doesn't just say sin, it says weights. And I think there are times in our lives where certain things were perfectly fine and they're not fine now, not because they're wrong for everybody, but simply because they're slowing you down. And we're at a time in history where it's just not time to slow down. It's time to pick up speed. 
And here's what he says. The time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. So you've had your time. That, that time is done for you to do what everybody else does. Now, now, when we say Gentiles, look around the room. I don't think there's any Jewish people here. We could all say somebody's going to call us a Gentile. But in the scripture, a Gentile didn't necessarily always mean ethnicity. It meant someone separated from the covenant of God. See, Peter didn't write this just to Jewish people. It says he wrote it to people all over that were scattered in, in, in these different provinces. And so certainly a lot of them were from a Jewish background, but some of them weren't. A lot of Gentiles in the mix here. The, the people that are being called Gentiles here, aren't, are, it's not an ethnicity. It's people that don't know God. It's people that are separate from God. Because the Bible tells us that through Jesus, we've been brought into the family. Brought into the commonwealth of Israel, it says. And so here he says, the time is already done for you to do what everybody else wants to do. The time is done for you to live like everybody else. That time is over. Now the time is for us to live for the will of God, it says in the end of verse 2. Now we live for the will of God. For the, he, look at, he says, for the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, Lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. If you can say abominable idolatries three times fast, you'll get a prize <laughs> at the back. <laughs> Sensuality is this doing just whatever you feel like doing. We know that lust is giving in to the flesh, which leads to sin. We know that drunkenness, that's pretty obvious. Carousing, what in the world is that? That word carousing actually is a word that was used to, that when they'd throw wild parties for the gods and goddesses, primarily for Bacchus, the god of wine. And at those parties, people would drink a lot and they do a lot of other things with each other that we don't want to talk about tonight. And you can go and you can say, well, we don't have that because we don't worship the gods and goddesses anymore. But have you been to too many Christmas parties lately? I mean, maybe not your Christmas party, but the world's doing this stuff. This is out there. And you, many of you in the room today said, yeah, I used to go to these things. He said, the time has passed for you to do this stuff. He, then he goes on, he says drinking parties. Well, isn't that the same as carousing? The, the actual Greek term here, it says drinking parties, but it actually meant like drinking contests. Like, like people just seeing how wasted they could get. And abominable idolatries. That's stuff that God hates. The time's over for that. Now, he's talking to people who have been saved. He said, you've had that, you've had that. And guys, he's not saying, you've had your fun, it's serious time now. You may have thought that was fun for a bit, but what does the Bible say? It says the sin is pleasurable for a moment, but it will always lead to destruction. You guys know what that's like. You know that, I mean, I mean any, anybody that's, that's, that's given in to stuff, you know how it feels for a moment, feels good, and then you hate yourself, and then you, you feel terrible, and it, it leads to all this other destruction in your life. It's not actually that fun. You go to a heroin addict on the street and you say, you still having fun? No, not really. It's no, they're not doing it anymore because this, this would be a good time. They're doing it now because they need it. You have to understand all sin is like that. We put drugs and alcohol in that category, but all sin is like that. It all lures you in by making you feel like it's going to be good for a bit. And then it destroys you. 
And it makes you want to come back even though you don't want to come back. You need to come back. And that's what I'm telling you. Jesus set you free from that. He broke that chain. He says that time is done. But look at this in verse 4. He says, in all this, they, who's they? Those that are on the outside, those that aren't close to God, those that don't have a relationship with God. He says, in all this, they are surprised that you don't run with them into the same excesses of dissipation. What does dissipation mean? It means wastefulness. They're wasting their life. They're wasting not only their time, their life, but the very breath that God gave them. And it says in this, they are surprised you don't run with them and they malign you. They talk bad about you. They talk bad to you. I wonder, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if many of you right here tonight can identify with that. I mean, you would say, guys, you used to be my friends. But the minute you don't go into the same thing they used to do, the minute you don't go to that party, the minute you don't go drinking with them, the minute you don't shoot up with them, the minute you don't swear like they used to swear together, the minute you don't do any of this stuff, they get mad. Why? Because light is exposing darkness. And nobody likes for darkness to be exposed when it's in them. He says they malign you in verse 5. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And I love that because what he's saying is, you guys don't need to worry about them. That word malign, it it implies that there's slander. There's things that they're saying about you, probably a lot behind your back. And you might think it's your job to fix that. Go out and, and confront every single person that said something about you. He says, they'll give an account to God. He'll judge the, the living and the dead, doesn't matter. They'll get, they'll get theirs. They'll, they'll, they'll have to talk to God about this. It's his business. You move on with your life. You fix your eyes on Jesus. You get your eyes off them, you fix your eyes on Jesus. It does not matter what, you, what they say. Why? Because just a few paragraphs earlier in this letter, he said that when Jesus was being slandered to his face, he didn't open his mouth. When he was threatened, he did not threaten in return. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He's telling you, you've got a pattern to walk after. When Jesus was being beaten, when he was blindfolded and beaten, and they said, prophesy, he didn't say a word. And the reason is, is because Peter says, because he kept entrusting himself to a God who judges righteously. As long as you think you've got to fix everybody's opinion of you, as long as you think you've got to right every injustice that's been done towards you, you're going to be off your race. Once again, if that, if that guy running the race heard somebody in the crowd call him a name and he stopped running the race and ran up into the stands, the race is over for him. It's not your job to fix everybody's opinion. It's not your job to go and make sure everybody thinks the best of you. He says, he said it several times in this letter. People won't like you. And I like people to like me. I do. I mean, I don't know anybody. There's a couple of you oddballs here who say, I like to be hated. But most of us, most of us like other human beings to enjoy our presence. But that's not always a luxury you're going to have. And the question you just always need to ask is, would I rather have the approval of God? Or would I rather have the approval of people? And that puts it in perfect perspective. Because it's really not about whether or not they approve. It's about whether or not your approval is found in him. And if I'd rather please God, I'll do what's pleasing to him. And that's the fear of the Lord. 
He goes on and he says this, for the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those that are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Look at that again. He's putting a contrast. That life that you live to the flesh is dead, but now you live a different life and it's lived for the will of God. Here's the sad thing. I don't want to overload you with sad, but here's a sad thing. That there are a bunch of people who figured out that they need to put that old stuff behind them. But they haven't yet figured out how to live for God. How to really seek the will of God. They're not sure that they're even walking anywhere close to the will of God. They're just doing their best not to mess up again. And as noble as that might seem, guys, your, your life does not consist of you trying to avoid your old life. Your life consists of pursuing him. And there is God's will for us, and there's God's will for you individually. And I know God's got a plan for humanity, but let's just be straight. God has a plan for you individually. And it's good to know his plan for all of us. It's also good to seek his will for you right now. Should I move here? Should I stay? Should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Should I go over here? All of these things play into it. Should I, you know, what church should I go to? Should I do this? Should I do that? All of these things, God has an answer. And the answer is not found in which circumstances just magically line up. Sometimes it works that way, but if you lived your life that way, you'd be easily led astray. All the enemy would have to do was, was not bug you for a while, and you'd go the wrong way. I've said this before, but if the apostle Paul went that route, he'd never go where he was supposed to go, and he'd keep going where he wasn't supposed to go. Because the open doors, he says, an, a wide open door for effective service has opened for me, and there are many adversaries. There's so many religious people that would tell you if there's many adversaries, that's a closed door. God doesn't want you to go through that. Well, how am I supposed to know which door God wants me to go through if I can't judge it by the circumstances? Judge it by his voice. Jesus says this, my sheep follow me because they know my voice. And the reason they don't follow anybody else is because they don't know their voice. You want to follow Jesus? You have to learn how to hear his voice. Now, the will of God is so clearly laid out in his word. And the voice of God is best learned by getting to know the word of God. But there are things that as you get to know this and as this shapes your life, you'll find out that he speaks to you about particular things as well that that maybe there's not a verse in there that tells you if you should move to Calgary. In fact, if you can find a verse in here that tells you you should move to Calgary, I'd love to see it. So you have to be able to, because you've honed your ear and because you've trained yourself on his word to know what he sounds like, you've got to be willing to open your spirit and open your heart to be able to hear from the Lord and know that he'll confirm that through his word and he'll confirm that through others and he'll confirm that through whatever he needs to confirm it through. But we got to learn how to hear God. He says, we got to know what the will of the Lord is because we've got to live according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Sound judgment and a sober spirit. Now, if you think that sober means serious all the time, no fun, no smiling, then you didn't didn't read enough of the Gospels. 
Jesus had a reputation of loving to feast. In fact, it gave him a bad reputation at times. The rumors that were being thrown out weren't that he was too serious. Those were the rumors about John. The rumors about Jesus is he ate too much and drank too much. Now, I'll tell you right now, he didn't do either of those things. But those are the rumors because he went to so many feasts. The Bible says that God anointed Jesus with the oil of gladness above everybody else. Which means the most joyful person, the gladdest person that ever walked the planet was Jesus Christ. So if sober equals boring to you, come meet Jesus. Come meet Jesus because he's not boring. He's not boring. Amen. Sober spirit. Think about it. What's, what would be the opposite of sober? Many of us would say, well, drunk. Right? Out of control. You lost control. A sober spirit is not, is not, your control is not lost. Your control is not given away to something else. In fact, you're being controlled by the spirit of God. You're being led by the spirit of God. You are sober means that you are aware of what's going on. You're grounded. Sound judgment means you're going to make right decisions based on the right voice. And the whole purpose of this is your prayer life. It's funny how that just gets put right in the middle of all this. All of this, your, your purpose in life, what you're living for, the will of God in your life. At the end of all that he says, he says, here's the purpose for you to have a sober spirit and sound judgment is because prayer. Because I want you to pray the will of God. I want you to pray because the prayer of a righteous person has a major effect. Too often we pray prayers that are just prayers of habit, prayers that are prayers of convenience, and we've forgotten that our prayers can shake nations. Our prayers, I mean, listen, I said this on Sunday, but if God was going to do whatever he was going to do, no matter who, no matter if anybody else did anything else, he was just going to do whatever he was going to do. And it didn't matter what we did. Then he wouldn't put it in there that your prayer has much effect. He would say, your prayer doesn't have any effect on what God's going to do, but you need to pray anyways. And I don't think you'll find any Christian that'll say that to your face. But there's a lot of Christians that actually believe it that way. God will do what he's going to do, but we should pray because that's what he told us to do. Did you know that your prayers are shifting things? Your prayers don't change God. He's eternal. He's the ancient of days. But God's purposes, his plan, his will on the earth, he's chosen to use people. Maybe you think he made a bad choice, but it's his choice to make. And he chose to use us to go and carry that out. Prayer is part of it. Now look what he says here. He says, not only that, but above all, Keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. That phrase is going to be the bridge to what we talk about next week, but I want you to stop there for a minute and realize that above all, when he's talking about all this other stuff, the time is short. The time is now for us to live according to the will of God. Above all, which means the most important thing for you to run that race according to God's will is that you don't step out of the love of God. Above all, be fervent. Fervent is passionate. It's diligent, it's intense. Be fervent in your love for one another because love will cover a multitude of sins. I want to read you something in Romans, or sorry, uh, Ephesians 5 that is, is right along the same note as what we just read about the time that we're living in. 
and the way we should live it. The time's up for us to waste our time. Remember he said, they're, they, they're, they're surprised that you don't run into the same excesses of dissipation. They're surprised that you're no longer wasting your life. Because tonight what we're talking about is how to not waste your life. God has created you and put you here for this purpose in this time. Have you ever considered how blessed you are to be born on this side of the cross? Have you ever considered how blessed you are to be born at this time in history? At this place in the planet? Have you ever considered how amazing that is? To whom much is given, much is required. And here he goes on and says in Ephesians 5. In verse 14, for this reason it says, Awake sleeper and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Awake sleeper. Arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. When does Christ shine on us? When we wake up. When we wake up, he begins to shine on us. It takes you waking up. You say, well, I woke up. That's when I got born again. I came back to life. Absolutely, I believe that. And though you no longer are dead, sometimes you still fall asleep and just sleep right alongside the rest of the corpses. I've never seen a dead person play alive. But I have seen living people play dead. You see, an unbeliever can never pretend, that they can pretend, but they can never really copy the things of God. They can never really walk in the way that you can walk. But you as a believer, you can walk exactly like them. You shouldn't, but you could. Look what he says here in verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Be careful how you walk. Now, you might say, well, I thought I was supposed to cast all my cares on Jesus. This is different. There are places in the scripture where he says, take care. Take care how you do this. Take care. And this is something you're supposed to care about. Care about how you walk. It means think about it. He's not saying worry about it, but think about it. Be careful how you walk. How do I be careful how I walk? Are we talking about a strut? Are we talk, what are we talking about? He's talking about in your life, every day you're living, it would be so easy to just sleepwalk through it. You go to work when you go to work. You go to church when you go to church. Your kids come home, you deal with them. It's so easy to get in the routine of life and just let it carry you away. Five years later, you look up and go, whoa, five years have gone by. Be careful how you walk means pay attention to how you're living your life. Why? He says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. What makes you wise? What defines a wise person? They make the most of their time. Verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Many of you know in the original language, it says redeeming the time, buying back the time. We've only got so much of it right here. You've got eternity with Jesus. It's going to be wonderful. But you've only got so much time right here. Why does it matter? Why does time matter more because the days are evil? Because there's a lot more to be done. There's a lot more people that need Jesus. Let's just be straight. There's a lot more people that need Jesus. There's a whole lot more. And whether or not they'll know him, whether or not they'll hear the gospel, and whether or not they'll come to him, it, 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 it plays it. I mean, it, it is really affected by how you live your life. And how you choose to use your time. 
Make the most of it. Redeem the time. Buy it back. Use it. Use the time that you've got. You've only got so much left. I don't know how much time you have left, but I know it's not endless. You have a certain amount of time. How are you going to use that? The days are evil, but you're not. Don't be foolish. Well, how do I not be foolish? Understand what the will of the Lord is. He says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What does that tell me? How, do you, how, would, how would I say that your life is foolish? Your life is foolish if you have no idea what God's will is. Foolish doesn't just mean stupid. It just, it's, the, it's the absence of wisdom. How do you live a wise life? With the fear of the Lord. The will of God, living after the will of God, wanting his will for your life. If you're seeking God's will in your life, you're not foolish. If you're just going through life, you're, you're acting like a fool. Even if, you're not, even if you're not out there at the cooler wasting every night. Even if you're not in some alley shooting up, still you waste your life if you're not pursuing the will of God for your life. Now, let me just clarify something here. Some people hear this and they panic and they go home and go, God, what am I supposed to do with the rest of my life? I never asked you. And then they think they have to have the game plan for the rest of your life. You don't. You know, in my life, I've had glimpses. I've known, I know I'm supposed to move into that. I know this, but there's been a lot of things that have been kind of silhouettes until you walked closer. And the reason is, is because if I knew everything right away, I would take the shortest path possible to get there and it wouldn't be the right path. I would try to accomplish it on my own instead of letting God do it. God won't, God's probably not going to tell you everything in your life. But what is his will for me right now? And he'll give you glimpses of the future. Absolutely he will. Seek his will. Look in your Bible and say, God, what's your will for my life? You know, pray about it. Seek it out. Walk what you know. If you know what you, if you've sought the Lord and he's given you this little bit of light, use that light and go. And here's what he says. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. What does that mean again? Wastefulness. You're wasting your life. You're wasting that, that precious time that you have left. That precious breath that God gave you, it's going away. Probably wasting some precious brain cells as well. Look what he says. He doesn't just say don't get drunk with wine, does he? Doesn't just say don't get drunk with wine but be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> how do those things go together? If you've ever been filled with the Spirit, you know exactly how they go together. There's life that comes in it. It's the opposite of that. It's not wastefulness. It's the opposite of wastefulness. And that, that temporary high that you're chasing by putting a substance in your body or doing something that makes you feel good for a little bit, that temporary high that you're chasing is a cheap knockoff what we're meant to feel in the presence of God. That's what we're meant to feel. That's what it's supposed to sound like, supposed to feel like. Mankind was born with that. Adam would walk with God in the cool of the day. He was born with that. And when we lost that, we were born with an ache for it. And we've chased it down for, his, for all of history. For all these years, we've been chasing that high again. You know, it sounds cheap when I say chasing that high because when we think chasing that high, we think drugs, we think all this stuff, and we know that that's temporary. But what did David say? In your presence are pleasures everlasting. 
There's no end to it. There's no end to it. When you really find out, I remember when a youth minister came and, and spoke to us. I was in the youth group, and, and I remember him saying this. He said, you know, the Psalms say better is one day in his house than a thousand elsewhere. He said, you know why a lot of, and he was talking to young people at the time. He says, you know why a lot of you young people don't really know what that verse means? He said, you've never had that one day. But if you had that one day in his house, you'd know it's better than a thousand anywhere else. And you'd spend the rest of your life going after that. It's not enough. It's not enough to just get rid of that stuff that used to make you happy. To give you that temporary high. That's not what God's looking for. God is not looking for your life to turn into some boring, drab, vanilla existence. God wants your life to be full of his life. Remember, it's the thief that comes to steal life from you. It's Jesus that came to give you an abundance of life. What does an abundance of life, when you look at somebody and say they're full of life, you never mean boring. When you say somebody, they're so full of life. Have you ever seen somebody so vivacious? Vivacious just literally means full of life. That's not boring. That's full of life. This is what Jesus came to offer you. A purpose, a reason. I read those Psalms and I'm chasing what David found. And David found it in the old covenant. As a sinner... As a murderer and an adulterer, he found it. How much more on this side of the cross with the blood of Jesus, which gives us free access into his holy of holies at any time. But you read what he says. One thing I've asked, only one thing I seek, is to dwell in your house. That's all I want. Better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. In your presence are joy and pleasure everlasting. This guy figured something out. That's why when he found out, I've sinned against God. When his firstborn dies, his baby, not his firstborn, sorry, but his baby dies. He cries, he mourns. And he goes straight into the house of God and he sits down and he worships. That's where he goes. That's where he runs to. And I want that. And in that place, you understand what the will of God is for your life. You may not know 50 years ahead of time, but you will know right now. And he may give you glimpses of your future. Say, my plans for you are better than your plans for you. Because as big as an egotist as you might be, you can't love yourself as much as he loves you. Give it up. Give up your plans and take up his. He loves you more than you could love yourself. He goes on and he says this. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. God has created you for a really, really, really life full of life. Really, that doesn't make sense the way I said it, but you know what I mean. God created you for this. He's got a purpose for you. And I know sometimes you hear that so much it becomes a cliche, but it's not. 
understand the will of God. If you don't understand the will of God, you are going to live your life like a fool. A fool is not somebody who has a low IQ. A fool says in his heart, there is no God. And you say, well, I know there's a God. Yeah, if you know there's a God and you haven't asked him what you're supposed to do with your life, isn't that just two steps away from saying there is none? And if that God has no effect on your life, if you don't expect that same God, the creator of the universe, to have a, have a relationship with you, have an impact on your life, aren't you inches away from atheism anyways? It's not enough to just say there's a God. Demons say there's a God. You're here to live in his presence, to know his life, to know his will. And that's why the Apostle Paul prays. At the beginning of one of his letters, he says this, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and understanding so that you may know how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. If you want to know how to walk in a manner worthy of God, pray that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and understanding. You say, well, I can't know the will of God. Only God knows the will of God. 1 Corinthians 2 says this, it's only God's spirit that could know his heart. It's only his spirit that could know his will. Things that eye has not seen, ears not heard, nor has even entered in the heart of man. Then he says, but we haven't received the spirit of the world. We have received the spirit which is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. The only one that knows the heart of God and the will of God is the Spirit of God. And that's the Spirit He gave you. Thank God for it. Amen. Amen. I know you guys love the Lord and you're walking out His plan for your life, you're walking out His will. I think a lot of times when we preach this message, people need a grand scheme that they could put on their wall and tell everybody, This is who I am. It's not always like that. <laughs> I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to have a TV show. I know what I'm supposed to do. Supposed to be in a band that plays in front of thousands. What's the will of God for you right now? It's great. If he gives you glimpses of that, wonderful. What's, your, what's the will of God for you right now? Don't wait until it gets to be something that you feel proud telling everybody. First of all, his will for you is to just to know him. To know him, to have a relationship with him, to walk and follow after his ways. That's simple, guys. That's the first thing he wants. It's the last thing he wants. Let's be honest, before mankind had a job, they had a relationship. Your first reason for existence was to know him. Say, so, well, I thought, I thought we're put on this planet so that uh, we could preach the gospel. That's important. The reason you preach the gospel is so other people can know him. But before Adam and Eve, before there was any sin on the planet, they knew him. Adam and Eve didn't have anybody get saved. Their job was to know him and tend to the garden and the earth that he gave them. And that, you couldn't do that without this. So I'm just encouraging you tonight. Let's, let's just let that word sink into us and know this. The time is precious. Your life is precious. Every bit of air that you suck in and breathe out is precious. Let's not be fools and five years later wake up and realize five years has gone by. Let's seek him. Let's, let's be of sober mind for the purpose of prayer. Let's, let's pursue our God and his will for our life. Amen.